Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. And so I think part of the problem that I see with it as a supporter and former writer for for an alternative publication is that it it kind of muddles, I guess, the public sphere and makes it difficult for people, myself included, to find reliable information in order to make informed decisions. And so I do agree that this is a problem across the political spectrum, definitely. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about truth, justice, and free press in a democratic society. Today we're talking about the truth, actually. Uh, that's a, a bit of a lie. We're actually talking about lies and false information. Joining me today on Skype is Melissa Zimdars, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication and Media at Merrimack College in Massachusetts. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Also on our board today, Nicole Legrisco, one of our producers. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Mike. So there's been a lot of discussion in social media and the news in general about the impact of fake news stories in the recent election. Ken Doctor wrote a couple of pieces for Neiman Lab about some of these developments, which is where I found out about your story, Melissa. So let's sort of start at that point. <laughs> there has been a lot of discussion about about fake news and the impact here. So, you know, what was the story? What were your thoughts about that coming out of the election? So the media narrative has predominantly been about fake news. In a lot of ways, I was more concerned with sort of a gray area of news that combines, you know, elements of truth with, you know, exaggeration, other kinds of falsities. And so in some ways you could say that they're fake news as well, but maybe not outright fake. And so that's kind of what or where I've been coming from the last couple of weeks in in creating a resource and, and talking about this publicly. Right. And we're also in talking about not just uh, fake stories, but but actually websites that sort of traffic in this type of, of content, either, you know, on both sides of the political spectrum. And, I, and you know, and I think that's what's, what's kind of sort of shocked a lot of people as, you know, we, we begin to see reports of, you know, how much people are, are sharing these types of stories, you know, on social media, on Facebook, and, and uh, how things like Google... I mean, there was a, a story uh, not too long ago uh, that was put out by 70 News that said that Donald Trump had won the, the popular vote. And that was something that sort of went viral, partially thanks to uh, Google's algorithm of sharing information. Yeah, totally. And that's actually what prompted me, in addition to people asking to share a resource I made um, publicly, but I saw that news item and I just felt like we needed a better way to navigate like the kinds of sources that we're we're seeing how to interpret them and so that's especially a problem that my students have had for many years and I think it's becoming a greater problem as more and more of these websites come into existence okay so now you, you mentioned your resource let's talk about that what, what what form is that so I created a resource for my students as a Google Doc and it included a variety of kinds of websites. So outright fake websites like 70news.wordpress.com, which is the site you just referred to. But it also includes included sites that 
are generally misleading or may contain a lot of unreliable information, but they generally report on actual news, even if their style isn't in a, in a news style, or just websites that maybe rely on clickbait in order to generate likes. And I also included satire, which got a lot of interesting feedback, partially because I've seen it shared as actual news. So that was the resource I created, which is obviously connected to this fake news controversy. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned satire. I mean, you know, there have been memes, there have been, uh, you know, hashtags around, you know, this is not the onion or things like that, where uh, some fantastic story that everybody, oh, that must be an onion headline because, you know, that's that's part of their rationale. They, they, they trade in these funny stories that are presented as real news stories. But, mm-hmm. but we're, we're really not so much talking, and I guess our, our greater concern is not so much about satire, although, you know, I think it's important that we identify what is satire, but in actuality, things that seem, you know, fill a particular political narrative on all types of the political spectrum. So what do you think is the danger of these types of news sites, these types of stories, and the, why do you think there's a need for us to sort of identify them? Well, I'm glad you keep bringing up that it's an issue across the political spectrum because a lot of news entities have been interviewing creators of fake news sites and they've been saying, well, liberals just don't circulate fake news in the same way that conservatives do. And so they were suggesting that they were creating information specifically to be circulated by those who may identify as conservative. But part of like the resource I created tried to demonstrate that perhaps outright fake news isn't being circulated as often, but there are a lot of websites that inadvertently or purposefully also spread information and rely on outrage in order to generate engagement and profit and, you know, to pay for their infrastructure. And so I think part of the problem that I see with it as a supporter and former writer for for an alternative publication is that it kind of muddles, I guess, the public sphere and makes it difficult for people, myself included, to find reliable information in order to make informed decisions. And so I do agree that this is a problem across the political spectrum, definitely. Yeah. And what's funny is that, you know, my first sort of awareness of this kind of second level of concern was actually, you know, following a link to what was a conservative um, a story that somebody had posted on their their website. It says, ah, see this? This is what, you know, President Obama is doing. And so I followed it. And when I when I sort of, you know, I found that, that someone had debunked it. But then I also found that one of the sites that was debunk, debunking it was actually a conservative website because they, you know, a legitimate conservative le- website was concerned that, you know, it's not so much that, oh, you're making a point on our side of the argument here, but you're actually disseminating this news, which kind of muddies our message. And we'd much rather put out, you know, truthful information. Yeah, and, there's and, enough enough truthful stuff happening to be angry about or concerned about that. I, you know, we don't really need to also put out false information that, if anything, drowns out what we really should be focusing on. Right. And for, for legitimate news sites and even those that are that are espousing a particular political bent, you know, they want their message to go out there, you know, relatively, you know, clear and and, and, and untarnished. And so, you know, being associated with sites that are sort of spreading a message that maybe it may seem that they're they're arguing on your side of the spectrum. But in actuality, that they're really just kind of, you know, tarring you in the process of, you know, trying to to get clickbait or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
No, I, I completely agree. And I think I think some of these websites give a bad name to alternative journalism or sort of even citizen journalism overall. And I think it's unfortunate because they they play a very valuable role in, you know, analyzing it, media and politics and being a watchdog that sometimes mainstream news publications can't be anymore. Yeah. So, so tell me, how, how did you, where did you get the idea to do, you know, I mean, this, creating a list seems like such a basic thing, you know, where did you come up with this idea and then what, what criteria did you use to, to get people on that list? So, I mean, I've seen other lists circulating for years, like much, usually much smaller lists. And so I was like, well, how can we make something larger? And, and the list itself wasn't really my end goal. I was hoping to create something searchable and that would be more like a comprehensive index that would even include, you know, longstanding, generally considered reputable news sources just to sort of create a database for where we get news information from. And so this was sort of a a kind of rough (laughs) draft for my students as we've been talking about journalism and news culture and newspapers in class, especially during the election. It It was perfectly timed. So, but what type of criteria did you use to to uh, measure or, or yeah, to put so, people on their list? Yeah, so the criteria, and it was sort of inductive. So I've been keeping track of some of the websites, even my very liberal friends on Facebook who are journalists and, and have are teach journalism. I was looking at sites that they were circulating for years in question. Um, and so I sort of, when I started thinking about questionable websites, Inductively, I realized that they sort of fell into three categories and then with the addition of satire just because of of communication studies showing the potential for misinterpretation. And so the first category was just outright fake. So websites just like the ones coming from Macedonia, the ones being created by, by people in the U.S. for various reasons. And they basically have no verifiable information. They may be directly counter to the facts and events and people reported on in in mainstream news publications. So that was one. The second area was this sort of gray area that kind of brings together opinion and news. And I don't think that's always clear, clear to readers or watchers of these news sites. And so they may traffic in in taking kernels of truth and then expanding on them in ways that aren't always very very reliable or that are very decontextualized from what actually happened. And this is the hardest area to sort of judge. And it's been interesting seeing some of these sites report on me and my list and getting a firsthand look at how this information is blurred. And then the third area was sort of the clickbait reliance stuff. And you could definitely include a lot of mainstream publications and news organizations in this list for various reasons. And I think that's why the ultimate resource needs to to span the whole continuum of websites and news organizations. But these sites generally have verifiable and reliable information, even if they're coming from a political perspective. That doesn't really concern me. But they may rely on a clickbait headline or or a headline that doesn't connect particularly well with the content, which may lead to the headline being circulated and it could be misleading. As we know, that a lot of people don't click through headlines to actually read the stories. Yeah, and, and then they see the inflammatory headline, and, and that then becomes their opinion of, oh, that's the nugget of truth that's out there, but but it's not really a nugget of truth. It's 
It's, yes. it's something that's fake. Now, the, the, the last one, I mean, they're all different ones. Are in, the, the three that you described, they're concerning in different ways. But the last one for me is kind of concerning that it sort of feeds into the, you know, the digital media model that we're, we're, we're sort of dealing with now where where the idea is to drive traffic to your website and that just like by choosing to put these types of headlines on, on your website and sharing them out on social media, you know, it, it gets you that immediate gratification of, you know, upping your, your clicks. But, you know, in the long term, you know, if, if you do enough of these and people begin to understand that, that you're just sharing anything, that, that sort of damages your credibility. Exactly. And a lot of the journalists I've talked to over the last week and a half about this resource in particular, I always brought up even some of the early headlines of the resource saying that it was a fake news list. And a lot of local localized television stations that I didn't talk to at all called it a blacklist or a hit list. And I was so troubled by the way that the headlines completely misrepresented the list itself and any other information sort of circulating about the list. And so journalists were like, well, we have to think about this headline now. I, I, you know, I have to be careful about what I propose and, you know, express concern over how then an editor might change it. And, and I get that the digital media landscape is so competitive and advertising revenue is is not what it once was and people aren't paying for media the way they once did. And so I very much sympathize with that, but I think it's a it's a problem we need to reckon with for sure. So, I mean, we're, we're talking for a lot of this from the, the media perspective, but if we look at it from the public, from the consumer end of it, which I think is what, what troubled a lot of people about a lot of the fake news that was being shared like in the, the, the final weeks of the election was this sense that the, the public maybe didn't understand what was going on in a way. And, you know, how do we, we make the public know that this is what's going on, that they, they need to question everything that they, that they read online, which seems yes. like obvious thing, but, you know. Totally. And, and so firstly, I'll say I'm a lot of my research is very much invested in the idea that we have to be weary of claims about the masses and the, and the public as being, you know, like not informed or sort of like, just going back into really old, early 20th century media theory, I'm, I'm always resistant to claims that, you know, that we're being duped or that we don't understand. And so I'm coming from a perspective where I think, yes, some people definitely didn't realize they were circulating fake news or didn't have the tools to judge some of the more misleading or clickbaity news sites. But I also think we need to think about how some people either knowingly circulate fake news or or they know that news may be misleading, but it doesn't matter because it fits with what they believe. And so they're not perceiving it as misleading. And even if you say that it's misleading, that actually makes them defend it more, which is what I've witnessed in the last week. So I think we have to be cognizant of a range of of relationships that consumers or readers have with these different websites that isn't just about being sort of hoodwinked, I guess. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I had a I had an exchange with somebody uh, on Facebook where they had posted something that, that was pretty inflammatory, and I was like, wow, that, that does, seems really strange. And I looked, you know, I looked around, and, you know, uh, Snopes had, uh, uh, Snopes.com, which which tries to debunk a lot of the the falsity that's on, on the web, had debunked that. And, you know, I took the link to that and put it on the person's 
feed and said, hey, you know, this is this is a fake news site. You just need to be aware of it. And the response back that I got back was, well, it doesn't matter. You know, X, who the, the story was about is, is, you know, for lack of a better word, an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, and then he went and he posted another fake news story. And it was for, for me, that sort of exchange was sort of emblematic, I think, of a lot of things, certainly leading up in, towards the final weeks of the election. It, you know, and, and he, this whole long discussion about fact checking and, you know, what is truth in, in the election cycle is, as people became more emotional as, you know, as they were sort of caught up into it. You know, it was more about disseminating things that supported their point of view and less about the truthfulness of it. And, totally. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that's hopefully that's something that sort of the American or the, the universal zeitgeist will, will work its way out and, and come and go as news cycles uh, go through. So what is your hope, you know, putting this list together, what, what is your hope that this accomplishes? Well, my hope originally was just that it would help my 64 students navigate this as they, they work on their final projects and, and considering the kinds of sources they cite. I mean, for years, you know, I talk with my colleagues about some of the very questionable things that that students cite, students in media classes who are learning about this stuff, right? And I think that goes back to your earlier point about, you know, not knowing to a certain extent. But my, my goal now um, after this has really circulated is to work with a couple different groups collaboratively. And one is to create a database that would provide information about each resource and like several hundred more that are not on the list. Examples of headlines or links to stories, just something that for people that want to check that they have the opportunity to do so. I don't think that that's going to really create a dent in solving the problem considering, you know, like your anecdote, most people even if you show them that the source is a problem, that they may not care. And I've experienced that firsthand as well. Yeah, I think what concerns me about this is that it seems as if a lot of people just don't want to check. They don't care necessarily that someone has done some fact checking. So and I think part of that goes back to just the negative view that people have of the media, you know, in, in quotes there, that they don't trust a lot of the traditional media conventions that I think that we're all familiar with. So I guess I'm wondering, like, what you think the next steps are for just this concept in general? I mean, is this going to escalate and, and get more out of control or, you know, are we going to find a way to maybe rein this in a little bit? Uh, so that that taps into like the very contradictory pessimist and, and optimist in me, because I guess I don't see it being reined in as much as I would like. And I'm also very, very concerned that we manage this in a way that does not stifle, you know, the robust exchange of information or that does not privilege commercial sites over nonprofits or smaller alternative websites. And so I think we need to proceed with a lot of caution, but part of me thinks it will get worse unless there are ways in which Facebook and Google can carefully sort of limit advertising revenue to outright completely fake websites unless we can perhaps have information. Um, so like New York Magazine made an, an extension for uh, a browser extension that when you 
click on one of the websites that I had on my list, for example, it would say, oh, you know, like a kind of a warning, like read this website in conjunction with other websites. And I think that there's pros and cons to that. But based on my email inbox over the last week, people have floated dozens of different ideas. And I think they all have the potential to help. But I also think that this is sort of just, this is the internet, you know, it's always, it's, as much as it's been conducive to a variety of viewpoints and really important exchanges of information, this is sort of the flip side of that. And I, I don't know if it will really get better. Now, you've alluded to it a couple of times that, that you've gotten a lot of feedback from this, I assume both negative and positive. Can you sort of talk about uh, what people have told you or said to you? Totally. So overwhelmingly, the feedback has been positive, especially among librarians, journalists, academics, and even people who are kind of like my parents, who in many ways avoid Facebook now because they just don't believe what they see their friends circulating. And people have been sending me websites like, do you trust this website? What do you think about it? Have you ever been to it? So it seems like there is a group of people that are very much looking for information and how to assess what they come across every day. Of course, the flip side to that is some of the websites on the resource I created published stories about me, which were mostly false. <laughs> um, and they encourage their readers to let me know how they feel. And so I've definitely been, you know, I've received hundreds and hundreds of emails that have been borderline threatening, you know, just very vile things that anyone who, you know, has an opinion in the public sphere, especially if they're a woman, experiences all too often. Well, that's, that's something we've heard about before. I think it's called doxing. Where yes. They, yeah. They, they, yeah. They, I mean, my address, phone number, um, all kinds of bits of information about me were circulating on message boards. Some websites even included the phone numbers of my colleagues. One of my students received a harassing phone call. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't just towards me. It was towards everyone, which is partially why I temporarily removed the list until it could be hosted somewhere well, that doesn't crash my Google Drive also, but somewhere that is a little bit more insulated for me as just one individual being critical of the information. So tell me about then, you know, because when I when I reached out to you and, and was was looking for the list that, that I came upon a page on the one link that I thought would take me there, and it had some information, but you'd taken the list down. So where can people access this list now? Yeah, so if you go to WBUR Boston Radio's webpage, if you like Google search WBUR and Zimdars, um, they're linking to a PDF of the most recent list, which I haven't had a chance to continue updating and categorizing. And also other websites have published the list basically in full if you just search for it. Um, some of them even put their own the list is collaborative. It's not something that anyone owns, in my opinion. So it was interesting to see some people put their copyrights on, <laughs> like, you know, fraudulent copyrights on the list. But for better or worse, they, they exist in, in various iterations if you just do a search for it. Okay. Now, you also mentioned your students. What, what, have, what has been your students' sort of reaction to the, the formation of the list and, and the, you know, the, the reaction that came from, you know, you publishing it? Yeah, so I should say when I showed them the list the day that it was created for class, they seemed very disinterested in, in it. They were like, okay, this is great. And I, I had very little sort of evidence that any of them would, would use the list um, as they were creating their final projects or to consider it. I mean, some of them did seem interested, 
But overwhelmingly, they just seemed apathetic. And I think that's how a lot of them feel about Facebook in general, as it skews older. But when I re-talked about the list just this past Monday after everything that's happened, they seemed much more interested in it, or I guess less in the list, and more, they expressed a lot of concern for me. They were they felt like they needed to defend me against claims that I was trying to politically manipulate my students because they don't perceive anything we do in class as that. So if anything, they it became all about me, um, which I, I, I wish didn't happen, but to them, that's kind of what happened. Well, and of course, they're they're younger and generally, I would assume, and uh, you know, have grown up in the the in the environment where they they've learned the hard lessons <laughs> lessons of <laughs> of being on social media. So, you know, I think I, I asked you about what what your hope for this was. You know, what are your what are your next steps? You think with the list? So, the next steps for me, I'm there's I'm currently trying to help some groups that are really spearheading this. So, there's a group of librarians in the Chicago area that are expanding on the list, again, creating little write-ups for each of the websites included, even updating some of the websites included. So one that I had, msnbc.com.co, it actually, the domain expired shortly after the list came out. So just even trying to track the websites as they change. So I, I want to support their efforts. Some other groups have reached out to me about databases that they're creating. Um, one was a, a group of journalists and computer programmers. And so having me review it and look at, look at it, add suggestions, help feed information to it. And so my goal is to, to work with these groups. And it's not just something that I'm able to go out and just, I'm going to create this and it's going to have this effect. Like I'm not, I don't believe that that's possible, but I think that there's a lot of different answers and iterations of this resource circulating that will be useful. And so all I can do is keep talking about the issue. Um, I'm speaking at a high school in the area in January about the list and media literacy. And so I hope to be sort of a conduit for information to media literacy projects, to these databases and resources and filters and plugins, etc. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because this this continues to go on. I think it was last night or maybe the night before there was a, a story that sort of floated out there about CNN showing a half hour of of uh, hardcore porn. Yes, <laughs> and I saw that sort of flutter through social media, and then a couple hours later, so I, you know, it's like, oh, how many media outlets picked up this fake story? And it's, mm -hmm. it's so it's not not going away. And I also found it really kind of interesting and also disheartening that, you know, people, you know, attacking you. But I guess if if their, you know, political aspirations or or, uh, or monetary aspirations to try to continue to disseminate this false information, you know, they see that as a threat, you know, I yeah. guess, I guess it's not, I guess not correct, the right thing to do, but it certainly it's understandable maybe why they're doing this. Um, totally. I get that. And I think actually their response to me I think that's going to be one of the main issues for anyone who is working on filtering, creating resources or technologies, whatever it may be to try to um, mitigate fake news. They're going to come up against this probably tenfold what I did. And if anything, my list just seemed to reinforce the importance of those websites for the readers of those websites. And so I don't I don't really know yet how we can navigate that reaction. Yeah. Now, and I could also see another take on this where someone would argue, well, no, that the, the Internet needs to be free and unfettered. 
and that they might perceive this as uh, somebody trying to put, you know, uh, blinkers on it or try to 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 rein it in and, and and hold it. I mean, is that concerning to you? Oh, extremely concerning to me, and that's why I added to the list um, as it was sort of circulating. Um, that I did not condone any technologies that would automatically block these websites from showing up um, or from being postable to Facebook. I mean, that's not something personally. Yeah, I, I just worry about what that would mean for for again independent nonprofit alternative sources of information. And like, I'm a critical scholar. Most of my work is about interrogating you know, mainstream news sources and, and media entities and, and media industries. And so I think critical thought and, and, you know, all of that is so profoundly important. And so I'm very worried, I guess, about this, again, stifling speech. But I do think that when we have outright fake news maliciously circulating, that we need to find some way to manage it, if not prevent it. Right. At least putting information out there, which is what you're doing with your list, so that people can see and verify uh, whether a website or a story is true or not, or is has the taint of being untrue, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, you know, even doing that could lead to a whole host of problems. So I don't deny that. And again, I think whatever we do, it has to be we need to proceed carefully. We need to proceed slowly and methodically. And whatever happens, it needs to be subject to revision and oversight and transparency and all of those things. Right. Because somebody could take a list like this and say, well, you know, this source X, which may actually have a legitimate story on on its website. Oh, it's on this list. So we, we need to, dis- to disavow that. That's Exactly. And I do not want that to happen. And I even posted on my resource that I read some of these websites like I go to them and I read them in conjunction with other news sources and that was the goal that I told my students and and printed on the sheet was that it's not that we should avoid every website on here because some of them do you know important things but rather we should understand their perspective Um, we should verify what they're saying just as we do other you know, just as we may read the Boston Globe or the Washington Post, that we need to read widely and not get all of our information from one source. Yeah. And I think that that that's useful in, in the larger discussion about, you know, the sort of the future of journalism on the Web is, you know, journalists took a, a pretty big hit, you know, in the last couple of months about their truthfulness and trustworthiness. And, you know, it's important for us to sort of talk about who we are and, and, you know, why we should be trusted, but at the same time, you know, continue to do our job and verifying facts. And Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. And I, it's not a a job that I envy. I mean, I've been critiqued in one website, like, well, I'm not a journalist. No, my undergraduate degree is in journalism, but I came from a, a program that was also taught you a lot of critical aspects to studying journalism. And so I realized really quickly, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do, given all of the constraints that journalists face in telling, you know, important stories. Um, yeah, I, I don't envy that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think you have to be a journalist to to be be able to uh, turn a critical eye on journalism. I think certainly you, you, it's helpful to understand uh, the journalistic process and that entails. But, you know, we can't just have, you know, journalism professors looking at this. We need lots of different voices and different eyes on our our industry. 
to assess it because because there are lots of different types of eyes looking at uh, the content we produce. So, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that perspective is. Melissa, this has been a, an excellent conversation. I, you know, we could go on and on and talk about truth and lies and, and the Internet for hours. But uh, so where where can you know you told me WBUR is there any and some of the other websites um if if people want to find out more about this where, where's a good place to go i mean i could provide you with a link if you want oh, that would be uh, great. Like a pdf link that would be great and, and i'll include okay. that with the the web piece that goes with this uh, melissa thanks okay. for taking the time for to do this you've been listening to it's all journalism a weekly podcast about digital media Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, you've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you a cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.